You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Verse 6, Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen, which is a pair of oxen, and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. Wow, all of a sudden, Saul is going to make them an offer they can't refuse. (laughs) Wow. But the Lord is in this and actually blesses it because he puts the fear of God in the people to rise up as one and to fight. And this is what the people needed to do at this time because they're disjointed and divided and now they're being united by this king, Saul. And so they come together. And it says there in the middle of verse 7, And the fear of the Lord fell on the people and they came out with one consent. So you see God's establishing Saul as king and he's uniting the people under him. Verse eight, when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Can you imagine how they felt? Let's read on. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Now, the Bible's known for understatement. (laughs) I think that they were beyond glad to hear that a huge army was coming to their rescue and that they can now fight shoulder to shoulder with a a large army instead of going out and getting their eye plucked out. Can you imagine they're coming at you with a wooden spoon or something? Hey, let's get your eye. Oh man, how horrible would that be? And so they get to fight and they rejoice greatly at the news of the messengers. Verse 10, therefore the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will come out to you and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So it seems like they're going to surrender, but they know that there are reinforcements on the way. Verse 11, so it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. So they're not completely wiped out. In fact, we find out later under David that they continue to battle. And even later uh, in the book of Kings, we find that there's still war between the Ammonites and Israel. But man, the Saul, Saul was just anointed by the Holy Spirit to do what he had to do in this moment. And so there a guy who's normally working in the fields comes out and just gets the unction from the Holy Spirit and begins to command 
and to lead and to say, hey, send out the messengers. And then the armies begin to gather and come and he, he gets, all right, split up into three companies and we're marching on these people. And they go and they march on them and God gives them a great, great victory. Hallelujah. And you see, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit is in charge. When the Holy Spirit is in our activities for the Lord. It is incredible what we can do in the Spirit of God. But when we step out in our own flesh, it's a miserable thing. And it's beautiful here to see what God is doing in Saul as he's elevating him from his lowly position into a great leadership position. Praise God. And so verse 12, then the people said to Samuel, who is he who said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. Oh man. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today, the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Oh man, well first of all, do you see how Saul's given God glory? God, he's not saying, I did this. This was so astonishing to him and beyond his own natural character that he recognized this was an act of almighty God in my life and I am not going to take glory. I'm going to give glory to God. And so he says, the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Give God the glory, friends, in your life. When he blesses your ministry, when he, you get to lead someone to Jesus, you have a great night, the grandkids are around and you share a story with them, or you have wisdom from the Lord for them, and they go, wow, thank you, Grandma, thank you, Grandpa, thank you, Mommy, thank you, Daddy, thank you, friend, whatever. And you know it's from God. Give him glory. Just say, oh, praise the Lord, you know? And, and even if you don't want to come across as, I don't know, sometimes it can get awkward where you, you like cheap trying to give glory to God and they're like, well, no, no, you really did. The, you really, just give glory to God in yourself, you know, say praise the Lord and then just begin to worship God. It's the greatest way to combat pride is just begin to worship God. When people compliment you and you're having a hard time receiving it, just begin to worship God in your head or maybe you're receiving it too, too much. Yeah, yeah, tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> just worship God and go praise you, God. You're just amazing. I give you thanks and praise. And so here, Saul is giving glory to God for the salvation that he accomplished in Israel. Simple principle here, friends, that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Cry out for help. God will come to the rescue every time. It's what he does. Isn't he amazing? I just love the Lord. Now, here we, we have this attack from the enemy on the outside, but then when the enemy's not successful in his attack from the outside, what does he do? He tries to get inside, and he tries to divide the nation of Israel from inside by pitting the, the people who supported Saul against the people who did not. And so the people who supported him are now in this great position of power and fervor and they just got done hacking up the enemy, 
so they're full of bloodlust and whatnot, and they're like, let's find those guys that were opposed and let's kill them. Yeah. Boy, what's that going to do to the country? It's going to divide the country. It's going to be a terrible start to the kingdom. And so Saul, in his wisdom, does not fall to this tactic of the enemy to bring in uh, division, but he says, no, not today. We are not going to start this today. And that's the spirit of the Lord. Because in his flesh, he would most likely be tempted to go that course. Yeah, where are those guys who were putting me down and talking bad about me? But praise to the Lord, he showed mercy. He showed mercy. And this is such an important principle for us to follow. God is a merciful God. And he has shown us so much mercy. And we are to show mercy towards others. So what is mercy? Well, mercy is is compassion. It's a form of compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. They deserve that punishment. They deserve that harm. I have the power to do it, but instead I show mercy, mercy. And it's not just forgiveness, but it's the removal or diminishing of the consequence. And we see this played out a lot in the scriptures. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of showing mercy. Luke chapter 1, verse 76, we have Zacharias is prophesying over John the Baptist, and he says this about Jesus, the Savior. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring, which is another name for Messiah, Jesus, from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so God, being merciful, showed us, humanity, mercy by sending his son, Jesus Christ. It was an act of tender mercy towards us so that our sins can be remitted, can be washed away. We can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. All who believe. What a wonderful act of mercy. Our God is merciful and we're the children of our God. And we're told that we're to be imitators of God as dear children. So we also are to show mercy to others. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18 and let's um, read the parable of the unforgiving servant just as a, a wonderful illustration of what we're talking about here. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. It says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Of course, Peter here thought he was being, uh, you know, like 
Seven times would be a lot of times to forgive someone. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 490 times. <laughs> that doesn't mean keep count. It means you're not even close, Peter. Just have a heart overflowing with forgiveness. Verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This would be a fortune in our day that would be, uh, we would be unable to repay this debt. 25, verse 25, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Aren't you glad we live when we do, <laughs> where we do? Man, sometimes we think, well, maybe we should handle debt a little more severely nowadays. It's a little too easy to get really far into debt. Declare bankruptcy and you're good to go. Seems like a lot of people might have that attitude. But in those days, in that time, it would be quite normal and acceptable that if you were that far in debt and you couldn't pay it, you'd be sold into slavery or you'd have to go to debtor's prison Never understood that. How are you going to make money in prison to repay your debts? But I'm sure that there's an answer to that question. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Notice how it says he was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. We were just learning on Wednesday night through our study on the video, Kyle Eidelman was observing that in the Bible, when you see Jesus having compassion, there's always an and with it. He had compassion on the multitude and healed the sick. He had compassion on the multitude and fed them. He had compassion on the multitude because they were like sheep without a shepherd and taught them. You see, there's a heart of compassion, but then there's an action associated with it. And so here we see this master who represents God has compassion and does something about it. He releases him and he forgives him his debt. All right, fine. Huh, I have compassion on you. I know you're not gonna pay this ever. You ever get a relative that keeps telling you they're gonna pay you back? And you know it's not true. And you're like, it, you know what? It's not even war. And that's why the Bible says, just if you're gonna loan someone money, especially a, a relative or someone close to you, don't even see it as a loan. It's a gift, <laughs> you know? It'll save the relationship, believe me. If you can just give it as a gift and say, look, it's yours, don't even pay me back. Oh, but I will. Okay, if you do, you do. I'm not expecting it. And it will save the relationship, especially if you know it's someone they just can't pay you back. You know, they're just not gonna do it. So um, anyway, here 
the master just forgives him the debt completely. Doesn't say, all right, let's come up with a payment plan. Nothing like that. Just, it's a gift. You're debt free. Verse 28, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is a very small amount of money. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant and just as I had pity on you and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses God is a God of mercy God is a God of forgiveness. And he has poured out his mercy and his forgiveness on us through the death, the brutal death of his very own son. When we understand and appreciate how much mercy God has shown us, we're going to be merciful to others. It's just going to happen. If you're like that wicked servant, though, and there is no gratitude or appreciation for what <laughs> what's been done for you, you're not going to extend it to others. And this is when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, you know, and they think they're all good and they're righteous. And how, what are you doing, Lord, ministering to these sinners? And Jesus said, Hey, I didn't come to I, I didn't come to heal those who are well, but those who are sick. He wasn't saying that the Pharisees weren't sick, but they just didn't know they were sick. And so we've got to be in that place where we understand that, man, I was in the mud. I was wretched and blind. I was lost in my sin. The Bible gets really graphic. In the book of Ezekiel, he, he compares Israel lost in sin to a baby being left out, abandoned, wallowing in its own blood, helpless. That's us, friends, before we find Jesus Christ spiritually. And then God comes to the rescue and commands that baby. He says, live! And the baby lives. And he brings her up and to become the bride and lavishes her with all kinds of wealth and and everything it's wonderful but sadly the bride plays the harlot and cheats you see when we lose appreciation we become complacent we we become um, we take it for granted what God has done for us that's when we start treating other people bad and not showing mercy and not forgiving and not loving others 
But if we can just keep it fresh that God has saved me, radically saved me, thank you, Jesus, then we can have grace and mercy and compassion on other people. And so God help us to be there and to stay there. Amen? Amen. And if we don't show mercy, God will not show us mercy. And we saw that in in that parable. It was made very clear to us that if we don't show mercy, God won't show us mercy. Well, how can that be? It's because if you're a Christian and you really have Jesus living in you and you have the Holy Spirit moving in you, then you'll be forgiving. And when you don't, the Holy Spirit will convict you, convict you, convict you, and maybe that's happening to you tonight. Maybe you've been unforgiving. Maybe you've just been overly critical with the people around you, always nitpicking at them, even in your mind. And God's saying, that's not how a Christian should live. And it's, tonight's the night to repent of that and to confess it before the Lord and say, God, I've been overly critical. I've had someone in my life that I've held bitterness against and resentment. I keep thinking back to this one friend and what they did to me. How dare they? How dare they talk to me that way? How dare they say that in that way? That was so disrespectful. I deserve better. I deserve more. See how it just pride? And it's really ugly when it starts to come out. But when we have that humble heart of, man, I've been there. I've done that. (laughs) I know what they're going through. God forgave me and showed me mercy. I'm going to be patient and merciful. Man, that blesses the Lord's heart. Doesn't mean we can't address it in love and all of that. But if we're getting angry and upset, you know, when people infringe upon our rights or whatever, (laughs) we get all that. It's not a good sign for us. It's a sign that there's something needs to be dealt with. And so we can deal with it. But here Saul has victory in this, praise the Lord. And we get to verse 14 here. We'll finish up. It says, then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly for this wonderful salvation, this wonderful victory. And now there's no question, Saul is established as the king, right? Before you get this kind of idea that maybe it was half and half, 50-50, something like that. Saul, you better just go back home and work until all the people are on board or else it's going to be a failed thing. And now the Lord has established it. So Samuel says, let's go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. Do you need to renew the kingdom of God in your heart tonight? Has he once been on the throne, but then something happened and you just haven't really been following him? He's your savior. You would never say he's not your savior. You would probably say he's your king. But is he your king in practice? Are you following him? Or are you doing your own thing? Have you put yourself on the throne? And God would say, tonight is the night to put him back on the throne and say, Lord, 
My life belongs to you. You're the king, and I'm renewing the kingdom tonight in my heart, in my life. Why don't we take some time and just pray and renew the kingdom in our hearts and surrender ourselves to the Lord. He is your Savior. His blood has washed you of all of your sins. Let's make sure he's on the throne tonight in our hearts and lives. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for these scriptures tonight, Lord, that, Lord, they sometimes cut us to the heart. But we also praise you and thank you for the beautiful victory that we read in the scriptures tonight, Lord God, that you come to the rescue, that as we cry out to you, as we face an enemy that is overwhelmingly more powerful than we are, you are there to rush to our aid and to come to our rescue. And so God, we ask you, rescue me tonight, Lord. Rescue me from my own mind and my own flesh, Lord God. Rescue me, Lord. We want to be more like you, Jesus, fully surrendered to the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.